Collected Nightmares podcast. We are sociologists who talk horror. My name is Marshall Smith. I'm one of your co-hosts. For every episode of our podcast, we take one particular horror film and we do an in-depth sociological discussion of that film. We use Robin Wood's iconic essay where he presented the argument that horror films can be understood as the collective nightmares of a society as our starting off point for our discussion. And I'm Laura Patterson. Marshall and I both have our PhDs in sociology from the University of Colorado at Boulder. And gosh, is it fun when the film really comes together and just, ah, God, when it's used, the way that horror, I think, can so effectively be used, which is to make an ideological statement about the society we live in and exactly what Marshall said, showing what some of the nightmares are that people in our society go through and really highlighting that in just such a creative and wonderful fashion and uh, i just had so much fun with this one marshall absolutely we watched fresh 2022 film 2022 film written by lauren Kahn, directed by mimi cave starring daisy edgar jones jojo gibbs sebastian stan we will spoil this film we encourage you to watch it before listening to us we dive right in, in this case. Sometimes we do a little pre-spoilers section. That did not happen this time. I'm gonna read just a little bit of the synopsis from IMDb because yet again, there's fucking spoilers in the fucking synopsis. IMDb, what are you doing? Uh, I used to be able to trust you. Um, some of the synopsis for Fresh from IMDb is the horrors of modern dating seen through one young woman's experiences horror ensues uh i don't know we don't know where this film came from but it's great go watch it don't let us spoil it go watch it come back listen to us and uh our podcast sounds exactly like cotton candy really now you gotta try it or people are gonna think i'm a creep Wait, were we supposed to do anything else? We didn't spoil anything else? Everything else at the end? That's a good short, tight intro then. We just get to start, right? I guess. I was gonna look up here. Alright. Noah, NOA, Steve, Molly, Penny, Paul, Anne. You wanna go first? It was great. And I love doing this. <laughs> I love being in person with you. This is so much fun. Feels like the olden times when I get to see your face and I love it. It was fantastic. It was wonderful. I would love to break down the messaging, but like just first take, I don't have much more to say other than it was fantastic. Yeah, it was great. I'm glad I waited. Yeah, the film was great. For sure we can break down the message. Try to think, do we have any complaints? We want to start with complaints if there's going to be very few. 
No, I want to start by breaking down the message because it was so good and I feel like it's so there and it's all kind of emotionally, it's hanging together for me right now. And then I think we can find the complaints later. I mean, I have a couple maybe little yeah. nitpicky, doesn't yes. really matter things, but I don't think that's the important part. So let's not start there. Okay, right. I think that's smart. Okay, so do you want to start with ideology? Yeah, I do. So I think our date at the beginning with whatever his name was, I don't know. Chad. Was that Chad? Yeah. Okay. Oh, that was Chad. That's great. So Chad texted her at the end. I didn't realize that was the same Chad. That's great. Okay, so the date <laughs> full with- circle, baby. <laughs> it's great. I think the date with Chad was our template for what we're talking about, and then the film took that and just extrapolated that out into like really extreme dramatic horror form. And I think it was great. I think men are used to having all the power in dating. And his throwback in their little dating scene to like, oh, you know, back in the olden days, like women used to dress all nice for their man. And he didn't have to present anything to her really other than just showing up and being vaguely almost adequate. And that was <laughs> that was what he felt his contribution needed to be. And she was supposed to be so thankful to have him there because mm-hmm. she needs a man. And in order to be complete and to feel safe walking back to her car, he should be there with her. And so, you know, who is she to demand something better, to not take the wonderful offer that he's sending her way? And then we transition to the horror film, which is just a fantastically dramatized version of the exact same thing. We have... The man, we have a position where the man has all the power. I mean, a contrived position, really, in this case, where he has all the power and she has to do the dance that women are supposed to do in dating for him. So she's going to look at her Cosmo magazine and she's going to smile and she's going to basically in order to stay safe, she has to put on that dance. She has to he has again, because he has all the power she just has to take the little scraps that get thrown her way and pretend that he's exactly what she wants and pretend, but you know, be his sexual, emotional, everything support. And if she does it well enough, she might be able to be safe. That's great. I don't know that I had put that together. Yes. I think that's fantastic. Yeah. Laura, you said it as well as it could have been said. Can we please just, I, I just want to go through the date. Because the day is so beautifully done. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Let's start there and let's try to parallel that, like map it onto the oh, later. Sure. Because I think okay. it, I think it's one hundred percent going to fit and it's going to be great. And then, yeah. Okay, so he's late and tells her up front, "You're going to have to pay half because uh, it's cash only." Um, she is hesitant but she's hungry and she's already there and let's see what are all the things so what are, let's just go with things wrong that he did he's late he he and before they're even there insists that she knows she's paying for her part of it he has nothing interesting to say like the most interesting thing he can say is that he likes hot sauce which is then also violating sort of it's just violating the the folkways of don't talk about like vomit and upset stomach and like acid reflux and just general like gastrointestinal problems during while literally while someone while you're eating with someone or while someone's eating. <laughs> well, and I, 
I think that's totally a thing I have experienced in life, like men discussing their bodily ailments on a date as though you should be enthralled with what's going on. With... While you're eating? I, maybe. I don't, maybe. I'm well, not either sure. way, it's bad. I'm not sure, but, but I'll, just, I'll just say that that's like a thing I can recall from my dating life. Sure. Men thinking it's interesting to talk about what's wrong with their body as though you're going to find that really fascinating oh god i just I, either way it's bad i think it's i do think it is worse though while it's someone is eating he has nothing he has he never asks her any questions right when she offers something that was actually sort of somewhat interesting that she was trying to meet him at his level of conversation where she talked about wasabi he, he had, had no follow-up questions no interest he then tells her Basically, you look bad because, oh, you're, I'm disappointed in you because you didn't dress, like you said, more feminine. You didn't wear a dress was really what he was saying. And, and you're not showing off your body because what you're wearing is oversized, whatever. He assumes the Asian woman at the who's the waitress can't speak English. He just takes her fucking leftovers. And I'm glad <laughs> yeah. so I've seen it. I saw the, for those listening, I've seen the first half an hour twice. And it, I registered a little bit the first time. And the second time, this, he was like, and then you can just leave a little bit less tip. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which means that he's chiseling the server, right? He's not actually paying more of a share. No, no. I, I thought he, well, I thought he meant he would pay some of her tip. I thought I thought it was just like he's giving her this little again throwing a little crumb her way. <laughs> like, I mean, he is, but I thought he was doing that at the expense. I thought he was just gonna cut out less tip. Oh, I didn't take it that way. Oh, okay. Well, okay. Well, okay. I'm glad. I, I like I said, I had to think about that twice. So I'm glad you found that or thought about that clearly because I don't know that I had it figured out. He uh, freaks out about his scarf and the noodles, which. If he hadn't insisted on taking her leftovers without asking, he wouldn't have gotten his scarf in the thing in the noodles anyway. And then makes a is like a jerk about it. You know, he gets unreasonably upset and then is like, I need lemon and water and assumes that she can't. And then and assumes that the Asian woman can't doesn't understand what soda water is or bubbles. Um he wants to try and lean in for a kiss. She's very nice and just says, you know, I don't think we're a match. And he shit, you know, shits all over her. Uh, well, screw you. You're stuck up, bitch, whatever. So he insults her. He He's very, very insulting to her. I feel like there's, there's more. What else? I um, thought you got it all there. I was, I guess you've seen, you saw the beginning twice. But I did. I th- feel like I'm impressed with your ability to just totally detail that all. I think you got it all. Well, because it's like, it's the epitome of, because so I have had the advantage of seeing this twice. And, I, you know, I, I don't suppose anybody who could, or very few people would, who would answer this question are listening to our podcast anyway. But here's what I wonder. So Chad clearly is summarily insulated by his hat white privilege and therefore has no realization. Oh, and as you pointed out, and after all that, and he calls her a stuck-up bitch, she has the nerve to just send her a text that's just like, you up. But it's still like, oh, well, maybe she'll still sleep with me or whatever. Um, uh, and I think some of the other faux pas I was thinking of were not Chad or the, like, the, whoever was on the dating app sent a dick pic and uh, was just like, just immediately sex this and that and whatever. 
Oh, so what I was to say is, so Chad is summarily enslaved from by his het white male men's privilege to have any clue as to what's going on, which I think gets worse every like moment that passes. You know, if it were 20 years ago and this wasn't necessarily being called out in mass media, social media, everywhere, post Me Too, possibly a little bit more understandable, maybe still not, but okay, possibly. But nowadays, I mean, how many opportunities do you need to see that? You have them all your whole life, anytime you, if you would just open your eyes and look around. So I get that Chad in the moment doesn't understand that. I'm wondering if Chad, Chads around the world who are watching this understand what's wrong with that date. Or do they just watch it and think, oh, it's just a date that didn't vibe real well. You know what I mean? Like, do they get that that's not how you behave on a date? Or are they just like, oh, well, she was kind of stuck up and it didn't really go right. Let's just watch the rest of the movie. That's an interesting question. That's totally not where I thought you were going with that. It's not really about the movie at all. It just occurred to me. It's like, it's, you know, it's like the question at the end of seven. It's like, if you're going crazy, do you know you're going crazy? Or do you just think this is normal because you're crazy? And so you've lost a gauge of. Can we put a pin in that? (laughs) Because I want to keep going with the ideology. No, no, no. But I think that that question is going to become really important once we get the ideology mapped out and then we decide, okay. How much of an impact can the film make or what message is it really delivering to the audience? Because then it's really important to say, is the audience that needs to be critiqued by it, are they going to, is that messaging going to resonate or not? So can we just put a pin in it till sure, later and absolutely. adjust that later? Because yes. <laughs> I like the way you laid that pin, out there. Pin is put. Okay, cool. So then Steve comes in, or you can take over. Yeah, so let's, right, I, I, do you think I'm onto something? Because I do. Oh, that, yeah, like totally. Steve's, Steve, the situation with Steve is, artificially manipulated, obviously. I mean, first of all, to be a intriguing horror film, but also to really elevate the fact that he has all the power, she has none of the power, and she absolutely has to play his game. And her safety, in this case, is entirely dependent on earning his affection. So I think that's a, in broad strokes, that's a really good critique oh, of absolutely. women's dating lives in general, especially historically at the time that the, you know, the for Chad is calling out like, oh, back in the old days, you used to pretty yourself up for me, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like you needed me more back then. What's wrong? Right. Now you seem like you think you can wear a blanket and maybe you don't need me so much. And how terrible right. the world has allowed you to believe that. So and maybe what you should have worn was a hideous pink dress. With <laughs> a bow, that was a great that was a perfect. Bust, they, they nailed that dress. <laughs> they just nailed it. Absolutely. Oh, it's perfect. So so they contrive this situation to really emphasize that, right? And they've got a woman who's now in a position of having to absolutely gain his affection. I mean, I thought it was really interesting how at the beginning, the first thing that she says when he comes in to the room, and one of the first things she says is, are you going to rape me? And it's worse, in a sense, because it gets to the point where she has to actually fake enthusiasm for having sex. I mean, I know they don't consummate sex later on, but still, she has to basically fake that emotionally and physically and you know enough to to earn her safety from him she has to pretend that she is invested sexually and emotionally and all these things in him which is just grueling i mean it's just grueling to watch her have to do it and and also eating the meat of the other women where she's 
she's having to she's having to stifle every internal instinct she has and just any you know like all of her desires have to be completely subjugated so that she can put on the act that he needs to make him like her because again her safety is entirely dependent on him liking her and i just think they couldn't have done that better here's what it brings to mind and i think you're exactly right and i didn't i didn't piece that together kudos i'm so glad you said it i'm so glad that's what we're trying to do it also means that she is her safety and survival is built upon her damaging other women which is another fundamental aspect of patriarchy which is what this critique is and it's the divide and conquer patriarchy and it's the really problematic with if you divide good girls and bad girls and you promise a little bit of potential safety kind of to quote unquote good girls, the girls, who, women who play the game, I should say women, I guess, girls and women, um, and you stigmatize and demonize those who don't play along, whatever it is, um, you, you have that as a leverage of manipulation. So the book I grabbed is Intercourse, which is Andrea Dworkin's, who has... Her and Catherine McKinnon were the most foremost um, anti-pornography feminists, radical feminists of the late 70s, early 80s, who, like, stormed the Barnard Conference on... So, and this is her... I mean, this is her... I'm just gonna... I'm gonna read a couple quotes and we can take with them what we want. It's an interesting argument. Uh, And then I'll... Should I summarize first? Or should I read first and then summarize? Try reading, see how it goes. I appreciate your patience here, Laura. I appreciate your knowing what book to open and where to open it to. Well, kind of. Um, okay, this is this is getting to it. Uh, so Andrew Dorkin, Intercourse. Inter, uh, 158. Intercourse occurs in a context of a power relation that is pervasive and incontrovertible. The context in which the act takes place, whatever the meaning of the act in and of itself, is one in which men have social, economic, political, and physical power over women. Some men do not have all those kinds of power over all women, but all men have some kinds of power over all women. And most men have controlling power over what they call their women, the women they fuck. The power is predetermined by gender, by being male. Intercourse as an act often expresses the power men have over women. Without being what the society recognizes as rape, it is what the society, when pushed to admit it, recognizes as dominance. Um, and her argument was essentially there is no possible way for women in patriarchy to fully and freely consent to sex. So all, all, all heterosexual sex, anyway, within a patriarchal society, especially one that is as rape-prone as the United States. But I I think think she was writing specifically about the U.S., uh, but I don't know if she extrapolated to other cultures. Point being, what she was saying was uh, there is some coercive element because of exactly what you're talking about in all sexual inter- in all sexual intercourse between men and women in a patriarchal society and therefore every sexual experience is a little bit rapey has some component of sexual assault to it and again it's a radical feminist notion and it's very interesting if nothing else it's very interesting which is, i guess why it's still being read if you agree with it or not 
I'll just read these while I have it open so we don't have to go back. Um, the rage against women as a group is particularly located here. Women manipulate men by manipulating men's sexual desire. These trivial, mediocre things, women have real power over men through sex. The dominance of men by women is experienced by the men as real, emotionally real, sexually real, psychologically real. It emerges as the reason for the wrath of the misogynist. And so in this case, or what I hear you saying is very much a similar notion where the house where Stephen takes the prison, house, prison, whatever, where Steve takes these women, in particular Noah, is a condensed version of that same idea of, oh, you're free, sort of, as long as you behave, as long as you cater to me, as long as you follow what I want, as long as you do everything according to what I imagine and you should be, then you gain a little bit of freedom here and there. And you are saying that that by starting the film where it was, particularly with the, the walking home and the the threat of the sexual assault that's drawing the like real world nuanced parallel dynamics of of all of these things to the condensed stripped down really hyper emphasized of the prison yeah and i think it ties in really well to what you just read because it's kind of like the gray area between coercion and force and so I would say the horror part of the film, the part after the title credits, which I actually really like putting the credits right there. I think that was a really great decision. But the part of the film after the credits is the hyperbole metaphor, really extreme example of we're going to, like you said, strip this down to absolute force. And that makes the point. But I think seeing the parallel with Chad, right, with the date with Chad at the beginning mm-hmm. is the again, on that spectrum, right? It's in the coercion direction, or you would maybe even say, like, what you read, I think, is perfect because it's, like, societal force, maybe? It's less, you know, Steve isn't chaining you to the wall in the first version. And I would say Chad isn't chaining anyone. Chad's just used to someone, societally speaking, being slightly chained in a way that's very convenient for him, or he'd like it to be that way, or he looks back at the 50s and sees how women acted and dressed and thinks that that made more sense, and now things are drifting in a way where that force is maybe slightly less strong, and he misses that force. And so it's really, it's, yeah, I think it's just two points along that spectrum. It's like the the really we're going to make this argument for you and just make a fantastic horror film, I think, version. And the here's what this looks like in reality when you're not in some crazy extreme example like we showed you for the second half of the film. And God, bookending it with that is perfect because, again, it pulls it back. Oh, remember, this is what we're talking about. What you just felt, that was the emotional experience that we wanted you to walk through to, to really make these points harder. You know, I mean, it would be difficult... Just like, okay, I just want to come back to what you started with. Like, what did Chad realize that this film is, you know, actually, that that date was actually a problem at the beginning? For anyone who wouldn't necessarily realize, it'd be hard to make a horror film just centered around Chad and have it be horrific. So they, they make it just so on the nose so that you can feel all that stuff. And then they pull it right back to Chad. Right. They're like, hey, see this in Chad. This is still there. I mean, and not just Chad, right? It's That would be really reductive in that case to pin it on Chad because it's a society that has all of these patriarchal norms that women have been told they have to enact that Chad has benefited from 
somewhat obliviously. Absolutely. So, what's bartender's name? Paul. Paul. So, Paul... Is Paul... In our symbolic system, then, who, who is Paul? Is Paul... You know, he, he Paul is aware that he lacks privilege as a as a black man in the get out neighborhood, ex urban, super expensive neighborhood, but not having to confront the issue. Like his privilege doesn't insulate him from being threatened, but it does insulate him from having to be involved. He gets to choose, so he can bail. He can like, oh, I would like to be the good guy. I'll kind of pitch in and all he only does pitch in though with the pouty lips when she plays up her femininity and her hegemonic traditional femininity and then uh, he does try to sort of be a good guy but when it comes down to it's real he can choose he can walk away i love what you're saying there i didn't pull that together and i love it did he help at the end at all no he just he he just left i I know how this ends i I die or whatever that's that's perfect yeah i love it i love everything you're saying there Okay, and then, yeah, so he's not a bad guy, but he, again, that, that the privilege is the choice, right? Of, of well, I, I can't ignore it if I want to. I, I'd like to help, or maybe I'd like to help, but if it gets real, yeah, no, I'm not going to actually. Um, I mean, clearly we have a black woman, a white woman, Asian, and we have a whole variety, I mean, who are Penny, Molly, and... and uh, Noah. Noah. So we have the diversity of women, so it impacts a variety of women in terms of ethnicity. That's fine. And then we have the whole wall, trophy wall. So this is applies to, you know, very many women again, where, uh, which is great. Extrapolate this, remind us this is back to real world, big picture happens, however many people. And so then what about, so Paul's wife. Anne. Dang, look at you with the names today. Laura, you're in, in fuego. You know what's funny? I can do names when I see them, and I paid attention at the credits. When I see names written, it's the same thing with my students. Once I pass out yeah. a test, I got them, yeah. but I can't, when I hear it, it just won't register. Yeah, I, I feel that. I totally feel that. Okay, so Anne, so then is Anne, the former Noah, quote-unquote, good, good woman, plays into the patriarchy in order to, she sacrifices a part of herself, in order to, she trades that for a little bit of safety and security and the nice house and the safety of the family. And so both literally and figuratively. Yeah, I would like to know how she got there. And it may not really matter, but I would just like to know. Because I kept wondering if she was, like you said, if she was a Noah in the sense that she actually got captured by him and then played her cards right and ended up as his wife and only lost a leg. Or if she met him in the real world and when she found out that he had this desire, she was willing to give her whole leg to him because that trade-off, again, like you're saying, was somehow worth it. And both of those could work. I feel like they might just tell a slightly different story, only slightly, probably, but I would like to have known. I found it a little bit of a letdown that we didn't get to find that out. I mean, I assume that the fact that her leg is missing means she either gave, I guess that's it, is she either gave her leg to him or he took her leg. And that little nuance feels emotionally important to me. Either way, it's, but I mean, again, based on like the argument you just laid out and the spectrum sort of from coercion to force, right? Whether he took it 
by force or he she gave it through societal force that put her in a position where she felt that was either necessary or desirable. You know, it's all different points along the same line. So it still makes the same argument, but I would like to know that backstory. Yeah, and, and symbolically, I... Well, one, I think it's fantastic that she's white because that, I think, is indicative of the, the classic, uh, very long-standing notion that particularly white women can play along. And I've used this quote before, right? This is the the white woman is the master's dog and the black woman is the master's mule. So the white woman gets to sleep in the house and gets, you know, scraps on the table and is treated better, but is still the dog. <laughs> and acknowledging that white, uh, that women can, not just white women, that women can, women can absolutely participate and engage in, in patriarchy as well. Whether that's, like you said, whether that's she was coerced and it ended up being Stockholm syndrome or she was willing or whatever it is, that would be more significant. That would, if we knew which choice that was, that would tell us. Cause if she were, if she were coerced, if she were Noah and she gave her leg and then she, Hey, Steve, I want to try it. What, however, if it played out a similar way. And then she was like, wow, this meat is actually great. I'll play along and sort of got, wrapped up into it, I don't know how much we could blame her. If she came to it a different way, came to Steve a different way, it, it would mean something different. But it's, that, so that's great. That's great that, that Anna is a participant and as far as we know is, is benefiting from her playing along in the patriarchy, which is, you know, my, the Armstrong et al. about sexual assault in college campuses talks about very specifically, like, one reason that women, young women, college campuses still go to the party scene, even though they know the risk of sexual assault, and especially if they know someone who is targeted, is they create a mental space for themselves to say, well, victim blaming, basically. Well, that was her. She got assaulted because she was being dumb. She was being a slut. She was ignorant or clueless or just whatever it was. I am not that way. And therefore I'm going to be protective. And on top of that, right? Well, that guy is not that way with me. And especially what Armstrong at all points out is if for women who are protected, who play along, who are girlfriends of frat brothers or are somehow connected to the, the, Patriarchy the, of the fraternity system, the great system, which is which is the fraternity system, is at the top. They are protected. You don't. If you're a brother, you don't sexually assault someone who is some brother, some fraternity brother's sister, or some whoever fraternity brother is vouched for. So it also creates that space for these women of oh well, Steve, you know he was never a creep with me, so I don't know if I'm going to believe her when she says. And all of those dynamics are exactly still map out to this very well, where Anne is like, I mean, we don't know that for sure with Anne, but she has earned or she's she's created a space for herself based on I'm going to sacrifice these other women. And Noah is getting Noah is like you said, she has to pretend to do that 
in order to get enough wiggle room to fight back. Yeah, and I'd like to jump in for a second because when you were talking about Anne earlier, you were talking about her her sort of backstory on how she got there and what level of blame could be mapped onto her. And I think I, I wanted to highlight oh, uh, Molly. When Molly is killing Anne and she hits her in the face and she says, women like you are the problem, mm. that stuck out to me as not right. And, or at least not not consistent with the argument that the film was putting forth. I, I think when you're critiquing a system and you try to assign individual blame, I think that is not entirely accurate, right? We're talking, again, I, I keep coming back to this metaphor, and I'm not trying to take the excerpt you read from that book and turn it into something else, but I think that, that it was appropriate in my head to think about this sort of spectrum, again, like I said, from, from coercion to really extreme force. When you have a system that has all of these subtle methods of coercion, and then you take an actor who's in that system, who behaves in a way that they've been societally coerced to behave in, it doesn't mean they're entirely absent fault, but I would say pinning the fault on them or saying you're the problem is really not true. The problem is the system that is encouraging a whole group of people to behave in that exact same way because the, the structure of benefits and, and trade-offs is such that that's what they choose to do. So I, I, don't, I don't think blaming Anne that explicitly was correct. I can appreciate and understand your, your argument in that perspective, and I think it's founded. For me at that point, everyone stood as a symbol, so I was not particularly bothered by that. And, I mean, we all know this, I'm much more of a vengeful, wrathful person than you are, And so for me, especially in her role as a symbolic person... Uh, I want to be like, she is a gender trainer. It is fucking, it is, you know, I do think there's a special, not worse, but there is a blame that should be attributed to women who are willing to sacrifice other women in order to try and carve themselves out. Okay, but wait, but I mean, yes, sort of. I mean, again, this is sort of a spectrum, right? So we're not, I'm, I'm not... I don't think you or I are arguing like polar opposite ends of the argument here. But Noah does the same thing. I mean, Noah eats those women. And we presented it, and I presented it earlier as she had to. Like, that's the only way she could gain back her power in the system. And again, she's in the super extreme version here. But, I mean, couldn't the same be said to a lesser extent of Anne? Again, I'm not not trying to completely absolve her of blame, but I, I don't think it makes sense to pin it entirely on her individually when the system is such that that's either what it takes or what she believes it takes to get her safety. Well, this is where I think we would need more backstory information. And my, but my short answer is, yeah, that's true for a while, but now you've been with him long enough to have two kids and live in the suburbs. And so it's been like at least six years We figure the older kids, at least six years old. At this point, yes. You know what? Pick up a phone, call the police. Okay, but <laughs> Your leg's like gone. You can be like, <laughs> you know, like, okay, play along till you need, can you get out? I don't feel like, I mean, if Anne were in that house and the doors were locked and no service or whatever, okay, maybe. But she's out on her own. She's She has access to... Rat him out at that point. We might be getting too deep in the weeds here, we but <laughs> I'm going to do it anyway. Yeah, but please. she, That's what we're here for. if she believes through 
again, societal messaging and whatever, that this is what she has to do in order to get her safety. I'm not saying it's okay. And I'm also, she's in the like super metaphor part of the movie where women are being eaten and killed. And like, she, I mean, obviously like in that case, she should do something about it. Yes. But I think when, when Molly says women like you are the problem, again, we're not just talking about this super extreme metaphor world. We're talking about the other world as well. And I think when the, when the stakes are not so blaringly obvious and the coercion is such that someone might, I think the, the an equivalent in the real world story, which I don't know what that would even be. We could talk about that. That would just be a fun intellectual exercise. But I think the an equivalent in the real world story would not necessarily shouldn't shoulder all the blame for the an behavior in the real world story, because I think a lot of that is again, societally induced. And I think the blame lies on patriarchy not necessarily the individual ands who are w- walking around being influenced by it. Again, not, it's not a zero, 100% thing either way, but I just I just want to tack it. I want to pull Molly's statement a little bit down, a little bit away from that extreme of she's the problem. Yes, Laura, let me, for the record, state very clearly, the the blame starts at the top and dissipates the further down hill we go. It starts with Chad, or it starts with Steve and rolls to Chad and then continues down to Paul and then probably Anne after after that in this symbolic schema. I think the analogy in the, um, I want to say this sort of for myself, so I, I, hope, I hope you get something out of it, or I don't know, I'd love to hear what you think. So I think the analogy are the, or the, the compare comparable to Anne, who I think of first are the would be like the sorority sister whose boy boyfriend is some frat brother who has told or who so the fraternity brothers know she's off limits. You don't get to drug her. You don't get to get her wasted. You don't get to target her. You don't get to send her dick pics. Whatever it is, and when that woman in this theoretical hears about her sorority sister having been assaulted. In, by whatever means, she divides good girl, bad girl. Well, one, the first step is I don't know if I believe because he's not like that with me. Two, you know what? If she did, if she was assaulted, she was probably leading him on. She was probably too drunk. You know how she is. I don't really know if it was assault. It probably was just a hookup that went bad. And so for me, what... what I've said this to my students, and it, it takes me. It took me a long time. I'll get to a point here. It took me a long time to, because I would, you know, I would say, for, for me, from a, the privilege that I have as a man and older and not part of this and all this, for me, and I just sort of out of desperation and frustration with having taught in at CU Boulder and seen the rampant sexual assault that has continued since I was an undergrad there. It's twenty five years now. You know, my thought is, well, if if all these women, particularly the sororities, would get together and say, you know what, this SAE, right, SAE, the fraternity of Boulder, is generally known around campus as sexual assault expected. Like at that point, just shun. Don't go to those parties. Don't talk to those guys. Don't participate. If they want to be part of that fraternity just exclude them or, or even a larger scale level, right? After, you know, like one of the, especially after something more problematic, but pick a weekend 
and just we're not gonna go to a single party until the fraternities or make it however long we're, we're not going to engage in any of that until the fraternities actually take some sort of reasonable real steps to address the sexual assault that has gone on for too long still continues to go on and it took me a long time to come around to the fact that one that's my solution from a position of privilege and not being in the circumstances and what that would mean for for those women and what they might have to sacrifice and so and then there are this is this is again kind of what you're getting at is there also has to be some limitation on the quote-unquote good girls which again this i'm using the terminology from that Armstrong et al. uses, which is drawn from the language of her research subjects. So I'm not trying to use girl as a demeaning terminology here. But so the women who participate and play along in the patriarchy at whatever level of awareness and divide themselves, it is also important to be precise or careful i guess with the blame because you don't also want to i mean you you i also don't want to play into the divide and conquer aspect that is a result of that however at some point women are part of the fucking problem or some of these women are also part of the fucking problem just as the paul is who has the privilege of walking away the the woman who is insulated from the assault and the the worst of the patriarchy or even has the privilege or ability to play into that, which not all women do in the first place, right? You, especially again, the, the fraternity scene is a perfect scene. If you're, if you are, you know, your brother is in the fraternity, or you're, but if you're a first generation student, you don't have the legacy, you don't have the savvy, or you don't have a mom to have told you this is how you navigate these parties, or a big sister, or whatever, you're much more likely to be targeted and, and assaulted, and. Um, I do think there's some blame to be reserved for them. Are they primarily to blame? No. It's still the brothers. It's still whoever the fraternity guys are who are sexually assaulting people. It's the fraternity brothers who are protecting their their friends and brothers who they know or should know are having are sexually assaulting women and are still participating in the system. Just as I say that about women, the men could be like, we're done with fraternities. They could walk away. I you know I had some I had some student whose last last fall I had a student whose father had been in that fraternity, and he was coming for parents weekend. And I was like, and I asked her, I was like, how does your father come to grips with the fact that he is visiting as a legacy in a fraternity called Sexual Assault Expected? That's how they're known on campus, and his daughter is going to that campus. And is partying with those guys. How, how do you resolve that? And you know what? I think there's a special place in hell for him. Unless he's going to show up at the fraternity and be like, look, we're going to shut this fucking down until this is addressed. Whatever, right? He has power now. He's not in college. He's doing whatever. He, I don't know. He's some rich asshole. I don't know if he's an asshole or not. Probably. Just assuming. So now I'm ranting. But, but again... Some blame, not all the blame. And I think there's some blame. Pick up a phone. You, you know he's got women captive. You know he's got a whole trophy wall of she is sat by complicit 
you know, I, I, I yeah, there's a point at which, no, you, you, you know what, you don't get off. Shit sucks. You gotta fucking speak up. Especially when people are carving up somebody else and eating them. <laughs> all right, on one level. All right, now I'm ranting. I'm sorry, Laura. Thank I, you for letting me say all that. Some of that was mostly just for me because the, the situation to you just melts my brain. Anyway, go ahead. I don't disagree with what you're saying. And again, I don't think we're really coming from opposite either. points of view. Okay. I, I recoiled when Molly said, I believe she said, women like you are the problem. And exactly like you said, I would say there is some blame there. Wait, so she had said, like, you're part of the problem? Yes, I think I would have been okay no. with that. So, I mean, again, we're splitting hairs. But no, I, also, on that. Yeah. I, I also want to say that taking your analogy here, because I was saying, well, what's like the Chad date equivalent of Anne? And I don't think what you just laid out there is the Chad date equivalent of Anne. I think that's somewhere on the spectrum. You Like, you took it in the, the Chad date direction. You took Anne and you moved her in the, that direction. But I think the Chad date equivalent of Anne, I mean, might be the woman who shows up on the date in the dress that she thinks Chad wants her to wear. And when Chad leans in at the end for a kiss, lets him kiss her because she feels kind of uncomfortable and doesn't want to hurt his feelings. And maybe then, I don't even think has to agree to go on a date with him, but says something like, oh, okay, yeah, that'd be great. Text me. And then it thinks in her head, oh, I'm just not going to respond later. And like, that's probably the Chad date, Anne. And that's where I I was getting a little, like, I don't think a woman who's been socialized into that kind of behavior bears the brunt of the burden for that, the impact that women engaging in that behavior, believing they should engage in that behavior has on other women. It's again, it's, it's all a matter of degree. And it's not to say that someone who doesn't like see the light, so to speak, is not culpable at all. But I think there's so much societal pressure in a patriarchal society that a woman could very easily be essentially again like i said the Anne that's sitting there with chad and not even realize it and so i don't know i just i just want to make sure the finger is getting pointed appropriately in that argument oh for sure agreed and uh that's doubly understandable in the circumstance you're talking about because we see how chad reacts when noah says to him very reasonably you know what look i just don't think we're a match and that could have been worse and so women or a woman who would falsely say, let him kiss her, whatever, could very well be doing that strategically and justifiably so that he doesn't end up hitting her. Or worse. Or so that that is all that's all totally understandable. I'm with you. I would have liked it to be part of the problem. And you know, maybe this all comes back then to what you were saying about Chad and like do the Chads who watch the film realize it? I mean, I think that's why the film was structured so well because they took the Chad date that was, I want to say benign and I don't really mean that, but like sort of, I mean, on the scale of what we're talking about in this film, relatively benign. And then they play the like super metaphorically stylized version of it afterwards. And then by pulling it right back to Chad at the end... I mean, I don't know if they're going to get it for sure, <laughs> but but now I want to come back to that and say, like, the film just laid it laid it right out there. I agree. I'm over here thinking, does Chad really realize that, though? <laughs> Chad turned the movie or off. <laughs> Chad turned the movie off where Chad's like, huh, that was funny. He texted her at the end. He doesn't know that she was almost, you know, <laughs> Maybe. he was almost eaten. Okay, this, this seems like an appropriate time to throw this out. There was a moment, the moment in the film when we first see Steve doing his American Psycho dance with the leg that first of all hit me really emotionally poorly. I mean, I didn't know where the film was going exactly at that point, but like, 
oh god it was just awful to watch and i was trying to figure out did they do this so well that i feel disgusted with him or am i just disgusted with the way they're presenting him because he was absolutely presented american psycho style and absolutely we were it was presented as though the audience might be on Team Chad. I won't say we were on Team Chad, because I was... I mean, sorry, Team Chad. Team Steve. You know? <laughs> same team. Same, same team, right? <laughs> Different levels of fandom. Or whatever, but yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And then I, I thought, either they're doing it really well, because for, my first thought was like, gross. They put us on Team Steve. Gross. And then I thought, well, no, my, rea- my emotional reaction is what I just had. It's gross. I don't want to be on Team Steve. And then I thought, well, maybe they just did it well. And everybody felt that way. If so, that was brilliant. It struck me. It was so off-putting. And I don't know. I mean, I think the film so clearly laid out what it intended to do. I just, if I had written the film, I would look back at that and I would just not be sure. I don't, so, so okay, I'll, I'll form, formulate this in a question then. Why, ha, why stylize Steve? Because they often did. They often made it almost fun to be on Steve's ride. I think their argument was clear. I think he was completely reprimanded at the end. I don't think there was any ambiguity, really. And maybe, I. but why... Right? Did you, you felt American Psycho in those scenes, right? It was like, why do that? Was that some, was that through his eyes? Was that, you know, maybe the fact that it was, that scene was immediately after the women meet each other and we're really t- pulled into the women's story. We're not in a headspace of, oh boy, Steve's having fun. Like in American Psycho, I think there's a, a bit of a roller coaster joyride element to what he's doing. We were not in that headspace at all. And so maybe it was okay. And maybe it really was like Steve is so unaware, isolated from the consequences of his behavior. Steve feels good about himself. Steve's having a good day. Steve thinks it's all about Steve. And we're watching Steve play that out, dancing around, doing his little thing. And we're supposed to be disgusted by it. I don't know. I think it's a great question. I think it's a great point. I did absolutely notice it. And I did I did not have a fully formulated of a reaction as you're articulating now but something about it did not register with me as quite right i think the question you ask is as always great there's two people that i think the film has to navigate and that is hannibal lecter and what's what's his name in american psycho Christopher? Patrick. Is the actor Christopher? Patrick Bateman. Christian Bale. Oh, okay, close. Yeah. Patrick Bateman. Um, I'll say that I did not like that it was... I think more important, or as, as important as anything you're referencing... Whatever his early 80s pop rock song that wasn't Huey Lewis, but is the same time period and tone. I can't remember what it actually was. Also evoked that clearly. And I actually think that that is, think about it now, I actually like that less. Because I think if you really, if you evoke... Patrick Bateman, or you evoke Hannibal Lecter, you evoke or you risk putting Steve in a category of sociopath who is doing this because he is 
a, a sociopath is is other. And I think Steve needs to be a normal who is at the outside range of Chad, not sociopath who me as Chad watching this can be like, oh, well, Steve's insane. I would never do that. I don't participate in these things. I don't. He's totally crazy. Chad is Chad is like me is fine. Well, now I'm watching the movie. I'm thinking, well, Chad's a little weird, but what they're doing, then I could say if I'm Chad, I'd be like, oh, what they're doing is contrasting the guy who's a little bit clueless, who is maybe he's like me, oh, maybe I'll try and do a little better, versus the sociopath, not these people are, these are two points on the same spectrum. And then the, the folks who are the Chads who you really need to convince, or, or who, maybe not you need to convince, but who would be good to if you could get to them to think, oh, well, maybe I am part further into this system than I thought. Uh, so I, I maybe that's I, I, I didn't have any of that. I just knew I didn't really like the the Patrick Bateman. I, I don't think he should have been drawn up. I don't really know that he needed to be. I don't think, you know, and then they did the him with his. I mean, it wasn't him doing the face mask and all that, but he would did clean himself his skin in the mirror and put on lotion or whatever it did a little bit. And I, I just don't, if I, if I were to do it again, I would have, I think it would have been better to have him just sort of putting on music and doing it like it was a hobby he enjoyed. Like it's kind of work, but it's kind of satisfying. And you know, it's like prepping a meal. Oh, it's a lot of work, but there's something fun about it. And you're doing it cause you want to. And not I'm a sociopath and I'm, I don't know. I, I want to jump in too, because yeah, I think please. what you're saying is sure. right, but I think that's different than what my aversion was oh. to it. And mine probably harkens back more to like the Henry, or not Henry. I, I did it in that, it's not Henry, um, Ted Bundy, which we did after Henry. And I kept calling Ted Bundy Henry in oh. that podcast. So oh. the, the but, but I guess the contrast really between Shocking Henry and Ted Bundy. And yeah. Henry. Yeah. And how there was a curiosity and a fascination with Ted Bundy that the Ted Bundy mm. film evoked. And I think those films, those sort of stylized killer films, they, they drum that up. They make you, they make the killer a star and they give them style and they give them flair and you want to watch them do their craft and you're, you're drawn in and it makes it a little bit of a fun ride. And that feels like a problem. Anytime you empathize too much or, you know, like we talked about in the Ted Bundy film, if you leave the Ted Bundy film, and what you're thinking at the end is like, I want to learn more about Ted Bundy. He's fascinating. What did he do? And there was just some of that. Like I was drawn into those moments and I was drawn into that character, but in spite of myself, because you know what he's actually doing, but, but there's a chance it was effective critique also because it was absolutely placed right after you were completely situated in the women. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's possible that they could be critiquing the, the man's ability to take on that persona and like Steve's ability to live in that persona might be, it could actually be commented on because our emotional space, I mean, I did not feel like I was on a joyride. I, it felt jarring. It felt jarring and inappropriate and like thrust in there. 
And so that might actually have been done well. I mean, it really might have been, Steve gets to live in this world and the women that you just saw and you just heard them talking to each other and you're very much in their headspace. What is that? Why would you ever be drawn to that? Why would you ever be interested in that? And it could even be a critique of like the stylization of these killers in films like that. I, I don't know, but it might have been. I mean, it, it read that way to me emotionally or it wasn't. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I think you make a great point and great argument and I hope that that is what they're, I hope what you're saying is what they're going for because so it's, this is an instance where I'm inclined to give the film benefit of the doubt and approach it from what you're saying because the rest of the film is so is so well done and everything was so thought through and mapped out and clear and and so like what you're saying I think but your point about the sociopath holds too I think I don't think that I don't think that negates or I don't think what I'm saying negates that I mean it's just food for thought I don't know that we have an answer necessarily I just Yes, food for thought. <laughs> Indeed it is, Laura. <laughs> that was great. That was not intended, was it? No. That was not, well, kudos. Uh, <laughs> so, when Noah eats the meat, there's this montage of other men eating other meat, preparation of the meat she disappears into sort of her own stream of consciousness what is I thought that was to bring up the emotional experience that she was going through and to really evoke for us how difficult this was like she was having to again stifle every emotion she has and every just every feeling and instinct she has around this like that's what she's thinking and she has to put a smile on and swallow it and that i thought i thought was really well done i I did too i was just trying to see if there was anything more i agree with you and it takes it back to those montages where it was all these different men unpacking the meat and then all these different men here and there taking part in this i think really also helped draw it out to expand the the commentary expand the world to to a broader broader uh, issue so that all was very good what else i have only one thing left i think and i don't know if it's a critique i guess a little well <gasps> I have a question. go ahead why didn't they kill him is that your question like well i guess two things in a row that i experienced emotionally when noah was getting away and I was very invested in Noah getting away. I was really emotionally invested in this film. And I... Me too. I was yeah. afraid she wasn't going to. I, because that would have been a good film too. And I was so emotionally wrapped up in it. And I really wanted her to. And I was unsure. This is just a logistic thing. I was really unsure whether letting the other women go was the right call in that moment. Because getting anyone away so that help could be brought back felt possibly more important that I mean he was still relatively mobile at that point and I was so afraid that she was gonna get caught while doing that I appreciate the ending of the film and the women banding together and I I think that's great I just like I was a little on edge like oh no I don't know if this is the right thing to do just get out the door get out the door come back with reinforcements and guns and things and you can you know whatever but um then when they didn't kill him, I was when they were running out into the woods, all three of them, and he, he looked like he was out for the count. I, why didn't they just 
beat the crap out of him so they could leave and be sure he wouldn't come back. I I didn't like him coming back. I felt like it was a weird plot choice. And I don't know if they did it on purpose. I, I don't think it was necessary. I, I don't know. Yeah. Ugh. I, I want to say it just makes for an extra attack. Which would be super disappointing because nothing else in the film felt unnecessary like that. I don't have a good other answer for you. I mean, it sure did seem like... So, hold on. We're talking about after they left him in the kitchen. Yeah. Why didn't they, you know, stab him in the brain right then or something? Yeah. I mean, they were, he was down enough that all three of them, especially one of them having no leg, were able to get out of the house relatively casually, not casually, but, you know, the two girls are kind of bickering over something and the other one's like, oh, you guys are funny. And like the threat had ratcheted down. He wasn't chasing them. So why not just... Well, they did get out. I mean, they did, but just make sure he's really dead. I mean, it's the same horror movie thing. Just make sure he's really dead. Yes. <laughs> We've and, been doing you know, this for decades. As... Make sure he's dead. Right. Fred's, Fred's classic which i love is kill him more yeah um, <laughs> yes i like that i will say though in this case it did seem like he was done i mean they've hit him in the head with a meat tenderizer she's bitten off his penis which presumably involves a good amount of loss of blood did she actually get it off did we ever get to see it no which okay. I, I do think was a little bit disappointing I found myself wondering, like, did she actually totally sever it? Did she just injure it? Like, what I, happened? I, I, you know, we saw enough, even if they had shown it, or maybe especially if they had shown it in the same sort of perspective or fuzziness as the dick pic that she got, that would have been neat. I would have appreciated that visual reference. They've, like, stabbed him and this and that, and he is out. I could see them, like, okay, we're out the door. We're fine. I can sort of forgive that. That's all I got for that, though. I appreciated that uh, Molly just beat Anne's head in to where it was just mush and parts are splattered off the shovel. So that apparently, you know, at least they learned from their mistake with Steve. (laughs) And I did think, I was sitting there thinking, like, I can forgive that. I can forgive that as we think we're... We've a cab passed into him. We think we're safe. We're trying to get out. We don't really know what we're doing. To to sit there and like stab him, you know that of course that would be better. But it also maybe felt. I think in the moment it could feel more like if he's out and unconscious and incapacitated, and now you start stabbing him, that's sort of an attack versus self defense. And so maybe you don't feel like as long as he's just lying there still it doesn't feel right to go and just stab him in the face or I don't know whatever um I don't I can forgive that I I appreciate the question I think it's fair I think maybe it is a little little horror extra whatever I was somewhat disappointed that uh Noah never just punched him I mean they were in the kickboxing class you know I would have liked at least just I mean it wouldn't necessarily, didn't necessarily need to be any more or less effective. Just like a good solid fucking couple of punches like she had done kickboxing. Or Molly, for that matter. A little bit of reference to that. It seemed like they could have called back to that. Now I'm sort of getting into my little tidy nitpicks. What I would have liked is when they were making love, if he would have bit her butt. 
like flipped her over and playfully kissed her and then bit her butt a little bit or something nibbled on it. I think that would have been great. I would have appreciated that. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my question that I thought of is why doesn't Steve eat meat? Other meat. Other right? meat. Is he just saving himself for the human? Or. Yes, or that's part of luring her in and seeming safe. I don't know. I, I, I don't just, know. It occurred to me that that seems sort of interesting or potentially curious. What else? I liked the scene where they were on their date. I'm doing air quotes because the date after she's captured, you know, the, the later mm, I see. quote unquote right. date. And he's cooking and she has to ask him questions about his life and seem interested. But I loved how the camera was scanning all of the important things in the room because we were very aware as an audience this is what she's really thinking about, and she's having to put on this act for him. I, just, I, I felt very present in that act throughout that, that fake date at the end that was really challenging to watch because she had to kiss him. She had to dance with him she like she eat. was romantically interested. She had, yeah, she had to eat for the second time, or her friend. Right. <laughs> you know, I, so many things that she had to go through in that. And I think that's just a really great emotional parallel to what women face in dating, again, in the Chad situation, to a way lesser extent, obviously, and way lower stakes. But I just thought they did a fantastic job throughout that whole date with just dragging us through the brutality of it. Absolutely. I mean, there, I, there's 90 plus percent of this movie I loved. High 90 percent. I also love that that second date in the captivity, I was at a point where I was like, is she really going to get on board with this? Is she gonna, like, oh, I kinda like it. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> don't eat any more of me, but I'll be the next Anne. Cause I was, I was swindled. I was, she had me convinced too. And uh, I was, when she, they had them dancing and it was like, okay, so she's dancing physically or literally and metaphorically of, she's dancing along, she's following his lead, she's whatever. I was, I had moments there, just like you're saying, convincingly, I was like, is she, is she into this now? Is, is she going to be on, just gonna be, like, take over on Steve's side? Is this, has she been, uh, she been co-opted or, or whatever it was? And that was, I think, very hard to do. That was great. What else? Is there anything else? I'm going to see if there's anything from this. This is the sexual politics of meat. A Feminist Vegetarian Critical Theory by Carol Adams. If you have other something else, let me know while I'm looking. I don't know if there's anything from this that is going to be really... I just wanted to at least look. What you were just saying there about her looking being unsure if she was really into the date, possibly or not, on the second date, that struck a memory for me. And I don't know if I want this in the podcast or not, maybe. <laughs> maybe you can keep it in, but I'll tell you anyway. Because it's it's something that's always kind of bothered me. And it's just, it, because it relates exactly to what you were saying. I was out once with Leith, and there was a, a man in a position of power who Leith knew I didn't like who came up and talked to me and Leith was, he was off doing something else. And he was, you know, I was like standing waiting for him to come back from the bathroom or something mm. like that. And so this man came over and I was talking to him and I, it was very much a position where I didn't feel like I had the power to 
upset him or, you know, I, I just, I, we interacted pleasantly for three minutes. It wasn't very long. And Leith came back over and then we left because I was with him and we were leaving. And when I walked out the door, Leith looked at me and he said, that was weird. And I said, what? And he said, you know, you looked like you liked talking to him. And I, it bothered me. It's bothered me ever since because I felt very much in that moment, like, I know how to do that. Mm. And I, you know, it's a different thing to, I guess inside me, I was, I mean, this is obviously, again, this, the, the movie is the extreme example, right? But I was Noah sitting in the kitchen, looking around, whatever my mind was doing was not paying attention to the story that was coming out of his mouth or whatever was happening interaction wise. So my experience was not, oh, I enjoyed that. And to hear that someone from the outside said, oh, you looked like you were enjoying the conversation. Like I was able or whatever part of me just sort of put that response on over top of what was happening inside and that what was happening inside wasn't even clear. And so I appreciate that part of the film. And I appreciate that questioning as an outside observer, because I think that's very much emotionally what women go through in this sort of position. But yes, it's always creeped me out like that. Just him saying that has hung with me ever since. And it it bothers me when I think about it, because I think that is absolutely a, a form of privilege that men often carry and don't realize men, particularly with power, don't realize that they carry that power. I suppose that's not incriminating. You can leave that in. I don't think it is. That makes me reflect again on, I will just say this, that reaffirms for me that my privilege insulates me or means that in with most folks, I don't really get to assign blame. If you're a, a woman or someone else in all this system who feels as though they need to play along or be nice or this or that or whatever it is in order to be safe or survive or whatever it is, I, I am not the one who gets to say whether that's right, right or wrong. It's probably right for you to do that. It very much makes me think of a double consciousness of you, you don't ever get to you don't ever get to stop being a woman in a patriarchy, just like you don't ever get to stop being black in a in a white supremacy. Regardless of anything else, and you can be a this or that, but that that's ultimately that's always there. Which you know, I'm fortunate not to have to have to deal with that either of those situations. So yeah, that's interesting very much the chad parallel to what this film's talking about like i said it was it was three minutes of pleasantries in the lobby of somewhere you know it was not it was by no means being tied to the corner but it's it's a micro (laughs) yeah exactly Exactly. situation of that is all of these things exactly yeah yeah we have more oh we should grade it the final segment of our podcast is we consider this some of our discussion and the film after we've processed it somewhat and evaluate it based on what we think it, it contributes to uh, to uh, to our cultural milieu, our cultural ideological landscape. It was fantastic. Yeah, it was great. I'm tempted to go A plus, and we like never do that, but yeah, I solidly high A. I mean, sometimes we do. Yeah, I, I absolutely think it was great, uh, and. I want to say, which I, I, well, I'll just speak for me. Uh, I think you probably agree, but um, the few little critiques that I've thrown out are really, like I said, either forgivable or maybe not even, maybe just one possibility of a reading that is not 
I don't think what was actually the prominent, the dominant messaging and little tiny things like, oh, if he would have, we would have seen the the severed penis. I think that could have been effective. Those things are super minor. Yeah, I mean, Anne's backstory would have been nice and helpful. Prequel, but, baby. Yeah, the hell that Leave room for a prequel. <laughs> the American Psycho stuff is questionable. But not necessarily bad, just, you know, I, I think if I were grading this for, you know, in a classroom, I wouldn't give it 100%. I would take off some, just a couple little points just to put those notes in. I think we've said this before, just to get the commentary read. I would take off a couple little points and then explain why, but like, it was fantastic. I mean, it it doesn't, it doesn't have to change at all. And I still love it. And yeah, it was just, it was wonderful. Uh, I agree. Yeah. I, and I'm with you like 97, 98, like you said, a couple of points just to get, get whomever to read the commentary or even just give them the full and just say, here's, here's my notes, even though I'm giving you a a hundred solid hundred. Yeah, it was great. I don't know where it came from. I had not, I mean, we try and follow, I really try and follow what's coming out, what's going on in the horror genre, who's doing what, none of that. I will tell you this, just as a side note, Laura, for me and you is, if you had showed me just the date and maybe, maybe just the date, maybe till she got to her car and the, the guy walked past and showed that to me as a short, as a festival, and then said, I want to make a full version of the film. Not that I'm in charge of anything or ever will be. But if I were a producer, I'd be like, sold. Great. Here's a million dollars. Go make your movie. So I was thinking that. I was like, God, how do I do that? How do we do that? Sort of like also It. Of course, It ended up being a failure. So that's <laughs> right. not a great example. But just up until the you know the little paper best, boat rolls down to get her gutter yeah. cut. I could at least see why the film would get made. And then, you know, but of course, in this case, it was as good as it was bad. <laughs> but anyway, I, I, it just occurred to me, like, that would be a phenomenal short film just on its own, stood on its own. I do have another question is why put the credits so far in? Oh, God, I love that they did that. Because everything up until that point was wrote. I mean, it was... You know, the, the part about... It, it just it, This story's been told before. It's when she's drugged, right? Yeah. And passes out, and that's when we get the credits? Okay. Sorry, just it, confirming. It could have been any Lifetime original movie male stalker thing. Mm-hmm. I think their argument really came out post-credits. And I think by putting a real break there, like, okay, now we're going to... St- like, here's, here's what we needed to get you to the start of the film, really. And now we're going to start telling you what this is about. Because I don't think you knew before that. You may have had little indications, possibly, but you didn't really know where it was going at all. And they got your attention and they're like, okay, now listen to us. We got something to say. And they absolutely did. I think it was great. I think it was the exact right place. And the break there was exactly the right place for it. Because if that had just flowed temporarily, like she gets drugged, she falls down, she wakes up in the room. We've seen that movie I, I i just i think having a pause where like i think they really kind of acknowledged to us that this was nothing new and it's great because then their argument is like yeah that's like the world <laughs> that is nothing new you've seen a million lifetime movies about that men do this type of thing all the time i mean maybe up to the drugging is extreme but you know still 
yes, this story's been told many, many times. Now we're taking the stage. In support of that argument, it was within a minute when I stopped watching. But I did stop watching before the credits. I did not know that that's when the credit sequence was going to be. I stopped watching when he made her the drink and he was asking her what flavor it was. And I was like, he's asking that to get her to sip because he's drugging her. Because like you said, that's standard. And there was just something about it that... So for those listening, I watched up until that point, the nectarine, basically. And then I stopped it and thought, well, I got to watch this with Laura so we can talk about it. There's something about it that I was like, okay, probably from the date, I was like, okay, there's something interesting here. And I want to watch it with Laura so I have a chance to sketch it. But so that means that I was... I broke when they broke, like just by sense of, okay, I know something's happening here. So your argument, I, I can't disagree with because I did a natural break exactly with the same place. So uh, it, I just want to acknowledge that is super audacious to put a credit sequence in 33 minutes. Isn't that what you said? Is I just, uh, and whoever producers, whoever because I think I think if uh, I think so, I think the somebody could have somebody's studio could have absolutely come in and been like, no, we're gonna put the credit sequence in right after the date, and then let the movie play. That would be the more standard quote unquote place to put it and let that happen. I think it was great. I, it's just so. It's I, you know I can't think of another film. No. Friday, Friday the Thirteenth the reboot I still love. I've talked about this before. It's a mise en beam of it. It does a whole micro slasher before the credit sequence, and that's like the credit sequence is maybe like 10, 11, 14 minutes in, maybe. But that's that's off the top of my head the latest credit sequence I can think of. It's so interesting. I, I want to say one more thing I love about it too. It is, now yeah. that we're, I. It it was just so good. It was really scary and really violent. Mm. And it used the horror to make its argument better. And so often the ideological ones that we watch where we like it. And I'm thinking back, what was the clothing one that was the giallo uh, red dress thing? But anyway. Why can't we ever remember the name of that? Because it was torture. It was was good and it was torture. Was the one the mall called Threads? Or something like that. We watched the other one. Yeah, that, that was, was clothing, right? That had the pants, the jeans. Right? Yeah, nobody knows what we're talking about right now. No, um, that's all right. It's on our Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Anyway. It was it was brilliant. So often when we like the ideology, the horror film part is like, eh. I mean, I can't I can't think of almost any other example. I mean, other than martyrs, <laughs> but seriously, I, I don't, off the top of my head, I can't think of another example where the horror part is really effectively horror. I mean, the remake of Black Christmas, I know ideology-wise was great. Horror-wise, it was all right. You know, it wasn't fantastic. I Like, it's rare that it's really scary. I really felt the tension. I felt like the violence was used to great effect and like just the gore and the like the just grossness of what he was doing was used to turn our stomachs and and then have us like oh it was perfect because to have her have to eat the women was not only like metaphorically great but viscerally that was exactly what we needed to feel to feel 
the parallel with the date. They took the date and they made like the really horror version and it was really horror. And it was fantastic. That is so, so uncommon. Uh, agreed. And I I did feel fear. I was scared. Uh, I uh, The tension was great. Just the imagery. Her trying to go to the bathroom knowing her butt had been cut off and yeah. the bloody bandages and the him even his... American Psycho sequence dancing out with the leg and cutting off that little bit of frozen leg. Like, oh, it was just, the, the, it was yes. great. The human Carpaccio. And there was at least one other moment where I physically recoiled. And I know, I even consciously in my head, I was like, well, I know that that's just whatever makeup or I don't, whatever. It's, it's not human. It's not human. I still... I was like, I recoiled because I was like, it was, yeah, I was with, I was in it. Um, It was great. It was a fantastic, excellent, excellent film all the way around. I looked, I can't find, I don't know what those fucking movies are. (laughs) Uh, I don't know at all. Laura, I mean, they're somewhere. You can look in the show notes. I'll put them in the show notes. It started with an S, the jeans one. The picture was the jeans. And I feel like it started with an S. Slacks? Yes, Slacks. That was it. That, was it yes. with two X's? Yes, absolutely. That, oh, Slacks. Oh, Laura. Yes. All right. It was, that was teamwork. I couldn't have gotten there. <laughs> I only got the first half. And then the other one, I mean, it, yeah, it was the red dress, Giallo. I don't remember that one, though. Yeah, that one might not like come back. Yeah, like you said, right. Which is, again, uh, Martyrs, of course. And then Get Out. You know? Like, the fear is there as well as the ideological argument. Yeah, this is a great film. Kudos to whoever was made this. I, I saw that it was women wrote and directed. Yeah, look up who they are. I just, I'm curious. Look up who they are and have they done something else? Are they doing something else? Yeah, if they've done something else. Uh, directed by Mimi Cave. Written by Lauren Kahn. In Fabric. Fabric. And Sorry. Fabric. Way to go. Sorry. <laughs> I, didn't, I shouldn't have interrupted that. Sorry, start over. <gasps> you know what she wrote, which I totally dismissed is Ibiza. Sorry, who did you say it was written and directed by? Lauren Kahn is writer. Ibiza is a romantic comedy. A young American woman and her two best friends seek out a hot DJ in Spain. I I totally dismissed it as exactly what it sounds like. (laughs) Um, So she wrote that. Who knows? Maybe that was she wrote to get in. in. And then uh, this director directed some shorts, some music videos, and that's it. Wow. This is her first feature. Well, I love them, and I can't wait till they do it again because it was just wonderful. It was wonderful. Absolutely. How fun. No doubt. Executive produced by... See, Adam McKay, okay, I recognize that name as well. Okay, he is a producer who has done a lot. Succession, Don't Look Up. Barb and Star Go to Vista Del Mar, which I've heard is actually really good. A bunch of other stuff. Dead to Me, which is actually a series I love. Hustlers, okay, so Adam McKay. Some other, there's like eight producers, executive producers. Um... Awesome. But Mimi Cave, Lauren Lauren Kahn, K-A-H-N. It's Kahn, right? 
we appreciate you listening. We are happy to have watched a film that we loved, and we hope you did too. We hope you appreciated the discussion. We'd love for you to support the podcast by going to wherever you are listening to this podcast and rating us. If you can leave a little short blurb of review, or long if you're willing, but anything would be great. We'd appreciate that too. Follow us on Instagram at Collective Nightmares. You can find our conf- con- you can find our contact info there as well, or you can just message us through Instagram. We run it. We do everything. This is not shockingly. This is not a professionally produced podcast. <laughs> uh, so anything you could do, tell a friend. You know, whatever you can do, uh, share our Instagram posts or something. We we'd really appreciate it. Horror films are our collective nightmares. That was fun. That was a good one. It's so fun when they're good. I mean, it's fun when they're really bad sometimes, too. I I still really enjoyed Greta. I think back to Greta sometimes and just how much fun it was. It was a horrible film. But it was so fun to hate it with you. We got the gum. Yeah, with uh, Chloe Grace Moretz. Yeah. Oof. And Isabel Hubert. So bad. Directed by Neil Jordan, who's actually made... What happened there, Neil? Have you made anything else since then? Oh. So good. Like, yeah, making, I love your idea about recording on those books. And that'd be great. You know, prepping the class so will be coming up. Oh, I think it'll be wonderful. It sounds like a ton of fun. And what a neat opportunity to have a year's worth of backlog. I mean, that's great. Like, if we could get somebody just on that job and have those rolling out without us having to even work for it right now. Because I think having, for me at least, because I, I mean, I haven't read this stuff even the first time. I know you said you're rusty, but I haven't read any of it. So having, I'd be in a better position to do better on the podcast, certainly, having read all this, like taking the time to do it while the podcast doesn't have to take a break. It's still rolling. Totally. Like if we could just devote, I would like to devote time to learning and then coming back to the podcast and no one will ever even know we're gone. We'll just all come back suddenly way more knowledgeable. <laughs> you know? <laughs> totally. Be like, yeah. what happened between last week and this week? <laughs> uh, I think, I, I mean, maybe, I think you're, you know, doing just fine. But yeah. No, I, I agree with all that. Um, I agree with all that. Sure. Yes. I think that'd be so cool. I concur. So cool. It'd be great. We'll see. Yeah. Well, I'm glad I stopped. I am too. That was so much fun. I'm so glad we did it's that so one. It's so funny but how that timing works. I mean, yeah. obviously it just come out, so that's not super surprising. It's just, uh, it was just, yeah, I knew, I could tell. I was like, that's there's cool. something yeah. going on here. I want to watch that. I want to talk about this with Laura. so bad. I'm so glad I drove down too. It was, it was really funny oh, yeah. because I just got this flash as oh, I was yeah. getting ready to get on the freeway. I was like, does he even think I'm coming over? <laughs> Like was, I was, all my stuff here and like ready no, to come see you. I mean, I know you can't tell, but believe it or not, it motivated me to clean a little bit. Oh, that's I actually nice. vacuumed some places. Oh, that's nice. You and uh, that. put some, I, you can't tell, but it was worse before. <laughs> so, um, so it'd be funny if I get all the way here and you're like looking for me on Zoom. And like, where are you? Oh, At your house. Yeah, no, I, I'm not. I, 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 you called and I was like, oh no, maybe she's going to cancel. <laughs> uh, but no, that, that was just fine. Um, no, it all worked out well. Cool. That was so much that was fun. Great. That's great. Yeah. Love it. 
Well, yeah, I couldn't have watched it. What would I have done more if I had watched it? And then. Well, I'm happy. Know, that would have been no good. I'm happy to watch. What, what was it called again? Oh, I forgot. The Master? Master. I'm happy to watch Master later this week. I can totally find time to do it. Well, there's let's more. See. I mean, it's not just that. What's the other oh, one, I know, too? But, but let's see what happens because. I do think it would probably be smarter to put this episode out soon. I agree. I, I, I mean, I'm with you. Yeah, Master, remember? And I think we saw a little bit of a trailer. What was the other one you sent? I don't remember. What's the other one? X. Oh, yeah. <gasps> Laura, what are we going to do? Well. It's like, we'll try. But that's, I guess that's the good kind of hobby. We'll try to take a break from it. Prioritize other things, then we won't want to because there's still stuff coming out. Oh, I was gonna say, I don't that's cool. I mean, I, I've always said I like doing it more than I like, yeah, doing I, you know, like, right, it's always good for us, yeah, anyhow. But this does feel like a cool opportunity, oh, for sure. And that was just way too good. I don't want that, like, you know, to the oh, extent that our sure. commentary is gonna boost that. Well, film's you're absolutely right, you're absolutely right. I don't know if I like doing this in person, headphones. You don't have to, you don't have to do the headphones. Do I not have to? Okay, I'm not going to do the headphones. Your jacket. What? what? Your jacket's got to go. Oh. I can give you a layer. Okay, I'll take a layer. <laughs> Thank you. I can give you a layer that doesn't. Oh, it's so cold. Russell. Yeah. It might help me stay awake, but. Here, you can open this. Thank you. I'll make myself a little virtual. Swear jar for every time I say I mean. <laughs> the end of male dominance would mean in the understanding of such a man the end of sex. If one has eroticized a differential in power that allows for force as a natural and inevitable part of intercourse, how could one understand that this book does not say that all men are rapists or that all intercourse is rape? Equality in the realm of sex is an anti-sexual idea as sex requires dominance in order to register as sensation. So she is actually anticipating my critique that's in a that's in a uh, follow-up preface that was added in 1995 sometime after the original book was written and it's been too long for me to to remember what the anticipation of the critique that all because what I when, when I read that what I hear her saying is that my summation of her argument was reductive and I don't remember the more nuanced version of it, so I'll uh, applaud Dworkin for anticipating the critique or understanding the critique however many years after her book was published and uh, responding to it. I think it's still, I think what I'm saying, so 87, so it was, yeah, seven years later she wrote the preface. Um, well, do you have thoughts? I want to look at that again and see if I can remember what... Okay, so here's what I think Dorgan is saying. I think what I was saying is closer to what she is arguing. I think when she is saying, how could one understand that this book does not say that all men are rapists or that all intercourse is rape? I think what she is doing there is um, critiquing the reduction of the coercive structuring of choices by a patriarchal rape-prone society and that serving as background and and the circumstances in which 
everyone operates as being quote unquote just right. I think she's saying there is a component of all of that, but it is a matter of degree and it is a matter of nuance and um, it cannot, you know, so if men are saying, oh, well, you can't say all men are rapists. I, I think she's saying, no, not all men are rapists. All, however, all men do benefit and we all operate within a structure of patriarchy that gives privilege and power and status to men at varying degrees, at varying times for different men in different ways. And that is always operating. And so it's a, it's a matter of the, the oversimplification is to say, is to be dismissive of the argument because, oh, you can't just say all men are rapists because blah, blah, blah. Did Omar put his poopy paws in it? It's possible. <laughs> I don't know. He's been up here. Um, I did not have as fully formulated of a reaction as you're referencing now, Laura, but say that again because I bumped the table. 